I'm Russ Kickle, and today we have a special episode of American Reef where we're going to talk about photographing our coral reef aquarium. So why do I say this episode is special? For two reasons actually. First of which, it is by far the longest episode I have ever released. It's probably going to come in about an hour and 20 minutes, which means you better have an hour and 20 minutes to watch this or plan on doing it via multiple sittings. Second of all, we're not actually talking about keeping things alive, but we're talking about photographing those things that we've been trying to keep alive. And we're going to do that by interviewing a professional photographer. His name is Jeff Lloyd, and he is the owner of So Many Roads Photography. Luckily for us, Jeff is also a reef keeper. So he kind of knows those trials and tribulations that we got to go through when we try to take a photograph of something that just doesn't stay still. Now, Jeff is going to do this in kind of like two to three segments, um, or sections maybe is a better way of defining it. The first section is hardware-based, right, or cameras, lenses, things of that nature. And he'll go everything from SLRs to DSLRs to the various lenses, you know, and kind of what all those definitions mean and, um, you know, what you want to look for. Now, in there, there are some tips that he gives us where in there's a section where he talks about this really high-end kind of lenses and, and, uh, and cameras and things of that nature. And basically, he talks about how we can get access and use this equipment without investing that tens of thousands of our own dollars to actually keep them in our permanent possession, so to speak. Um, so again, it's really cool as far as some of the, the tips that he does provide, and there's probably something in there from the novice to the pro. Uh, the next section kind of bleeds together with kind of how he sets up the, uh, the pictures as well as kind of the settings that he uses, and you can start with a baseline and kind of adjust them accordingly. And um, again, I really believe there are tons of information in this video, which is why I kind of kept it as long as it is, and I really do believe that there's something to be had for everybody. Now, you've heard me talk over the past several weeks about wanting to help small businesses, right? Um, and this is a good example of what I mean. Now, when we shot this video, it wasn't the intent, um, but, you know, it's still a good example of what I mean by trying to help small businesses. You know, like, after three-ish kind of weeks after watching this video, right, tens of thousands of people will hear about Jeff Lloyd and about so many roads photography, right? And so when you look at it, it's just a forum, and it's my way of kind of helping that small business get some international exposure. So with that being said, let's kind of spit up that interview. And at the same time, if you are looking for American Reef's HPD, you can head on over to AmericanReefHPDOneWord.com. Thanks for spending the time today, Jeff. 
uh, you know, what our goal today is for us newbies to figure out how we can take some photography, right, or some decent photography, you know, of our of our aquariums. And now you've been doing this for a while. How long have you been a, a photographer? I've been doing pictures. Ninety-nine, and I, I really got in right when the digital photography, you know, kind of really took shape. And um, before that, you know, I had like other, you know, film cameras. But the, the real, the real love began when it was like digital. You know, when you're able to basically see whatever the image that you're taking right then and there, or you know, actually using it in your computer. But yeah, so, ever since then, it's been, I think. Photography might be more the re hobby, <laughs> if that's possible. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, so the average reef hobbyist spends three thousand to five thousand within the first two to three years of owning a reef tank. Now, as far as a photographer, within the first three three years, four years, what kind of spend can we can we anticipate there? I would probably. I would say the first year you're definitely going to spend eighteen hundred, like just getting your your foot in the door. But it's it's a good one, and like I said before, like buying lenses and having them in your bag, they'll never get old. They'll never get broken. You know, as long as you take care of them, they never go out of style. Like the connection, the mount point, it never changes. So you know, I can have a lens that's a couple of years old, and I know it's going to be good. A few years from now, so the only thing that I'll be upgrading would be the body, you know, this part, and which is great. So, as a photographer getting in, you know, spend a decent amount of money if you can, if you can afford it, on your body. It's going to come usually with a kit lens, and a kit lens means you get the body and a lens, and then work your way up. Just you know, if it's possible and it's feasible for you, save your money and buy good lenses. That that's another. You know, key thing I should tell you, like Canon and Nikon, they have they have different lens lineups. You know, they have ones that you can find for two hundred dollars at your local computer store. You know, and they go all the way up to the L series, which these are like an L series lens. And what it means is it's thick, thick glass. Um, it's weather sealed, real thick rubber. This lens probably weighs about like a pound and a half you know even though it doesn't look like it it's very very heavy but it's weather sealed it's dust proof so what I'm trying to say is all of this will last for years to come as long as you take care of it you know and the great part is you could just keep adding on your lens library and then just change your body so it's a lot like the reef keeping hobby right in other words the reason why we're doing these videos is so whatever you do purchase you know, you're going to make an intelligent decision and purchase something that you're not, it's not going to be disposable, but you're going to add to it and you're going to keep it. So with that, with that being said, our goal today, we're going to do some tips and tricks for the, for the new guy, right, to, to, to go over how to take some good photography. Yeah, we're going, to, we're going to show you how to use your existing camera or maybe even a new one or even rent one to get in front of your aquarium, take some awesome pictures to share with your friends and family, and then learn some tips and tricks along the way. And we'll show you uh, what to do and what not to do when you're taking pictures.
<laughs> well, I'm very good for the what not to do, right? So I'll make yeah. sure to chime up. <laughs> That's all right. Everybody is. <laughs> but to me, it's learning, right? How do you know, right, what you do wrong unless you do it wrong? We're here to have fun. Uh, okay, okay, so let's take a step back. So I'm a, I'm a new guy, and, you know, I, I got this tank. I don't know much about photography, right? Mm -hmm. And what I, what I heard you say so far is, eh, okay, there are many tools of the trade, be it yep. lenses, etc. Um, however, no, there's not just one tool, right, for, for taking pictures, right? So right. Let, let's let's try to break it down to, if you're a new guy, what's the easiest kind of? Can you take your point-and-click camera and get good pictures with it? Can, or, you or, can. Okay. Yeah, if you had a, a point-and-click camera, you could. Um, like there's multiple settings on your point and click camera. Some of them, you know, you'll have the guy running fast. You know, you'll have the green square. You know, then you'll have the flower. Um, and then you'll have usually like a P setting or a manual. You, you kind of want to stay in the manual setting. And what I mean by that is when you switch to the manual mode, that will allow you to adjust your aperture, which is basically the depth of you know what you're seeing so if you have a smaller aperture like most cameras like high-end cameras go as low as like 1.2 aperture and that's like the minimum amount of light it takes to get into the, the lens so just as a sidetrack as a wedding photographer he wants a real real small aperture like a 1.2 in a wedding because it's very dark in say a church now if you're outside in the sunlight you could bring it all the way up to like 19 and then basically everything is in picture so if like I was looking at you know this device this piece of plastic right here and it was like a 1.2 aperture you would only kind of see like a faint circle of quality and the rest would be blurry and that's what a lot of people are like oh how'd you take that picture with that blurriness in the background and that's your aperture so that's one setting that in the hobby we have to you know keep an eye on and the other one is shutter speed shutter speed is the time it takes for the shutter to open and close so when you're taking a picture the light goes through the, the lens through the aperture and then it opens and closes and that's the shutter speed so how quick that opens and closes when it captures the image and um, when the shutter opens and closes the quicker it closes the darker it will be the, the slower that the shutter speed will slow, it will be brighter. Now, when, when we're coming, when you're looking at your, at your aquarium and you're trying to take a picture, um, what I usually like to do is be on the manual setting, like I said before, and I usually start at like 1 60th of a second. So what that means is it's like a good ballpark to start at. Now, another tip at for a new photographer trying to take pictures of their aquarium, what you could do is, if you're looking at your camera, your point and shoot, or um, you know, if you have like a, a, a DLSR, you could go up to it and set it to the P for shutter priority, snap a picture, and see what it looks like. And then what you could do is, when you take a look at your picture, it might be too bright, it might be too dark, what you could do is look at the info on that picture. So like if you on your camera, you have an info button, or even if you take it over to your computer and, and you look at the image, it will tell you the aperture and the shutter speed. And what you could do is kind of go in the manual setting at that time 
and bump it up, bump it down. You know, work with both of those adjustments, and that way, you know you're getting what you're seeing. You know, so when you walk up to your aquarium or you know your tank, and you look at it, you're like, I know I'm seeing more purple. I know I'm seeing more light. It should be you know a little bit brighter. Some of those features you could take care of post-processing, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But other things, you just know when you look at your, your tank, it should, be, it should be brighter, it should be darker. Or you should be able to see this specific pink or purple, or the fish should look a little bit different. And what I'm trying to get at is, that's when, when you're switching to the manual mode and you're adjusting your shutter speed and your aperture. And that way, you can kind of... Um, of you know what you're looking at. Also, it, it it's important that um, you know when you do some like post processing and you're showing your friend your your pretty coral, and you don't like put too much color or too much vibrance in it because they're gonna say, "Wow, well, that looks great!" And here you're like photoshopping the picture, you know. And no one likes a Photoshop piece of coral or a fish because then it really takes away from you know. It's almost like if you photoshopped all of your fish and all of your coral and then your friends came over and looked at your tank and they looked at you and just said, you know what, you're full of it. Right. You know, we know what you're up to. Right. <laughs> okay, so I'm new. I've got aperture. I've got shutter speed. Mm -hmm. And you said you can actually take mm -hmm. and if you use that little P button, right, mm -hmm. you take a picture and look at it and say, and do an info that way you can figure out what the aperture and shutter speed are right, right. and you're saying if it is darker and you like to make it lighter what would you change would you change the shutter speed at that point I would yeah I would change the shutter speed you know with with the aperture you can keep it like it kind of low probably in the ballpark of like 2 2.0 and then work your way up to maybe Five, six. That's usually a standard lens. So if you buy like a box set of a camera, like a Canon or a Nikon, especially in like the SLRs, like when you first connect your lens in your camera and you, you're on the P for shutter priority, and you just tap tap the button once, you know, just to basically when you hit it once, you're saying like, give me the information, give me the light, what you're seeing through coming through the camera. And you'll see that the aperture is probably five six. You know, if you have a real expensive lens, like you know, something like this, like it, these are you see them all the time at like football games and stuff like that. This is a seventy two hundred, and it's um, it's an f four. So the lowest this lens can go is f four. Okay, and like this guy right here, this is f four as well. Okay, so describe that, the, um, describe that for me. The macro. Meaning, what are your ranges if you're talking aperture? For aperture? Mm -hmm. Like, we'll just use the big one because everyone has seen this one before. Um, this one, the lowest it can go, I'm sorry, this is the 2.8 model. So the, the lowest it goes 2.8, the highest it can go is 20. You know, no one usually shoots in like 20. Like when you buy a lens like this, you're looking to go the lowest it can, because that's where like the sweet spot is. You know, as like a like a portrait photographer myself, I like the lower end stuff because if I were to take a picture of you, like the back of your your wall, your fish tank, 
you know, your pictures, your computer would be all blurred out nice and soft, you know. And that's that's what most people like for a picture, you know. Um, yeah, so that's that lens. Okay, so then to your point, the better the of the lens, the smaller mm -hmm. the aperture you will have. Yep. yep. And then so for a, a reef tank, again if you're taking if you're taking it you're saying if you reduce that aperture down, you'll get that blurry background so you're kind of focusing in. Right. So if you kind of had, like, as an example, you had a clownfish, you know, right in front of an anemone, okay, and the anemone was in the back, and you were doing, like, f2.0, you would get, like, most of the clown, he would be in real sharp focus, look beautiful, and then, like, the green bubble tip anemone in the back would be subdued, you know, it would be blurred out. And as you dial it up, say like five or six, you know, or even higher than that, it's going to be, everything is going to be in focus. You'll start seeing the bubble tip come out, you know what I mean? It, it almost opens the picture up, you know, wider so you can see all of the detail, you know, but. Okay, so that so makes perfect that's, that's, sense. So in other words, for focal area, you're talking aperture, right? Mm -hmm. For lightness or darkness, you're talking shutter speed. Yep. Okay, perfect. And so the two settings that you said you should start off on if you're, you know, kind of a rookie like me, it would be how shutter much? Shutter priority. Okay, and so shutter priority and then um, what would the um, speed be again? I would start at like 1 60th of a second. So if you're looking at your, uh, your display, you know, it would be right up here. It would say one six zero. Okay, it's not going to say maybe on the Nikon's it says one one six zero, but one six zero is where you want to go, and then you can dial it in. If you're looking at your camera, there's um, you know there's there's multiple options in here, and another one would be ISO ISO, and that's necessarily the artificial light that you're giving, like the camera to you know with aperture shutter speed and ISO, it's like a formula of like really what you're looking for. In ISO, you probably want to start off at like 400. It's in 100 stages. So most good cameras can do 100, 200, all the way up to 128,000. And like back to like the wedding photography um, example, you like when you get in like the, geez, like the 64,000 ISO, that's when you start getting a little pixelization noise on a picture, you know, and that's what differentiates good cameras versus bad cameras. They're able to go up to that higher level and not have noise in the picture, you know. So when you look at reviews on cameras on the on the internet, you know, they usually work the ISO from as low as it goes as high as it goes, you know, and they'll do side by side samples. So in our situation, we have pretty good lights above us, you know, so we don't really need to necessarily give the camera um, artificial light. So what we can do is kind of leave that on the lower end and work our way up. It's it's really all, you know, it's you know when you look at your tank, you're setting out for a picture. You have something in your head. You're like, I want to capture this, and that's what you need to kind of home in on. You know, you know what your your tank looks like. You know, you just have to kind of take your time and look at the screen, adjust the settings, take another picture, adjust it. And then when you kind of get close, you, you know, you know you're there, then that's when you can bring it into applications and start, 
tweaking with the color a little bit, the light, the exposure, you know, contrast, you know, things of that nature. Okay, so now we've opened up some more goodies, right? Yeah. <laughs> In other words, you had mentioned color, contrast. Um, yeah. Okay, what kind of settings are we talking about that affect, uh, let's say, color, first of all? Well, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good question. You know, another feature of your camera that you, you have to keep in mind, and a lot of people, you know, it's kind of funny, but my mom, you know, and my mother-in-law, when they take pictures and they show me them, they're always blue. They're outside and the picture's blue. I'm like, how can you get a picture and be blue? Well, what that is is the white balance, and the white balance is the color tone of the picture. So, <clears throat> as an example, if you were outside, you would want to use the daylight white balance. You know, if you were in, like, fluorescent lighting, you would want to use fluorescent lighting. Now, with, a, with shooting inside your tank, that's when it kind of gets a little bit tricky. You're going to have to, like, adjust it a little bit. Whenever you're taking pictures anywhere, I don't care if you're inside a ballroom, if you're outside, if you're, it's a cloudy day, if you're in a train. You always want to take pictures on the, the daylight setting. You know, that was a tip that, that I learned years ago from another photographer because the daylight setting is really easy to play with at that point. So if you take a picture, I take one right now, just me sitting here on the daylight setting. It may come out a little bit blue and it might come out a little bit yellow, but I know I'm in between there is where I can change my color. You know what I'm saying? Um, the same goes with your tank. When, when you're on the daylight setting and you take a picture, and you especially if you have your blue lights on, um, everything is going to kind of look very, it's going to look white and blue, like really <clears throat> kind of washed out. And which kind of brings me to my next point. When you're doing pictures, you want to have your blue light off. You just want the whites on because it's just much more easier to control the color. Because when you take the picture in the daylight setting with the blues off, you really do get what you're seeing inside, um, inside of your tank. And then when you bring them into software and you post-process it, usually you only need to add a little bit of blue or a little bit of yellow in the color tone. Like every piece of software <clears throat> on the computer, if it's Mac or Windows, has these features. You know, you might find it underneath like the advanced toolbar or whatever, but you'll see them. It's white balance, exposure, contrast, saturation. Um, you know, then it gets into like newer software, vibrance, all, all different stuff like that. And those are all tools there to help you tweak the image to what you're really trying to you know, represent what you're, what you're taking. And sure. all my photos that, that I'll show you, that we're going to show um, to all the viewers, I don't necessarily, like, doctor the photos. The only thing that I really do is just make sure the color tone is right because I don't want to send a picture that is, like, over too much yellow because that then it would, you know, defeat the purpose. The purpose. So That makes a lot of sense, right? And I guess... So to your point, if you like the light, if you're going, if you're shooting it in a daylight setting, right, mm -hmm. you can pull the blue out, or or you can add it if you if you want to make it representative. But if the blue's in there, you it's hard to take it out. Is that a true yeah. statement? Yep. Okay. Say you're outside. It's a real warm day, and you're you're shooting the daylight picture, you know, or daylight white balance. 
and you, you'll come back in and you'll look at the picture and it will look like there's too much yellow. Just think of if you're standing in the cornfield, you know, there's just too much yellow. And what you could do with, you know, your pictures is just add a little bit of blue and then it will, you know, bring in that more natural color. And the same goes when you're shooting inside your tank. So you, you mentioned something. You said, hey, if you go outside, it's a real warm day. When you say warm, I'm assuming you're saying the color is warm, right? Or are you, or, okay. Yeah, the color yellow. Okay, so that's what I was, get, that's what I was getting at. So in like yeah. the camera lingo or whatever you want to call it, when it's warm, it's yellowish. And if it's yes. cold, it's blue. Blue, right. Okay. Yeah. So the, there, there's actually a lot of software out there, add-on tools, where you can like selectively make stuff warmer or cooler. You know, in, in our situation, um, we kind of want to make it a little bit warmer. You know, because even though we have the white lights, they still look blue when you take a picture of them. You know, because it just it's that tint in them. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, that's what I mean, warmer, cooler. Okay, perfect. So, um, as far as taking pictures and adjusting the camera, so what I heard so far was for color, right, there's white balance and to take the, the actual blues in your light and, and get them off, right? Yep, take them off. Take them off. Um, is there anything else that we can do to kind of adjust the color from a camera perspective other than white balance? Um... Well, that's that's where it gets real tricky. Like when you bring when you bring a photo into, let's just say any. I'm just going to use Lightroom, Adobe Lightroom. That's what I use. Um, but just say any application. That's where saturation comes in. Saturation is how. Think of. I always think of someone that has sunburn. You know, if you if you take a slider of saturation and you bring it real dull, they look like they're pale. If you bring it real high, it looks like they're just got out of like a, a suntan. You know, they're getting a suntan because they're real crispy. They're red, orange. You know, and th that's like a, a real good tool to use when when you're post processing your pictures of your fish. You know, you don't want to go overboard because then it gets into the area of your friend saying, "Yeah, you know, what you just took is is not the real thing." I'm staring at your tank, and that color is not there. You know, but saturation is one of the tools that you would use. White balance and saturation, you know. Okay, so then on the camera, it's white balance, and then yep. on your post-processing, saturation. Yep, saturation. And, and when you're post-processing, I'm sorry, the uh, the white balance is there. You, you know, you get the scale from uh, yellow to blue, and then pink to green. So it's kind of, it's you know, two levers that you can move back and forth. You, know, you usually don't do anything with yellow or excuse me, green and pink. You know, it's, the cameras do a pretty good job of that. It's just the yellow and blue. Okay, so it, it, there's a couple things that you pointed out which is really good. So, first of all, you, you if you want to take good pictures, you have two components. You have the camera portion, and then you have the post-processing portion, which is done on your computer. Yep. So two two key components there. On the camera. You adjust your white balance, again, white and blue are the numbers mm -hmm. or the colors you're going to take care of. And then post-processing wise, then, um, that's where you can use the saturation to pull out uh, more realistic colors of, you know, whatever 
so the subject is then. Correct. Okay, good deal. And then anything else on the camera end of it that you would adjust for your colors? No, other other than that, that should be about it. Um, probably the next section to talk about would be how you should be. Um, how can I explain it? How should how you should position yourself when you're taking a picture? Because I, as you know, when you look in your tank, you know it's like a it's like a mirror. You know, you can look at it at certain angles and see see the way. Um, reflections happen off the sides of the glass and what I mean by that is like what you want to do is you want to be straight on into the glass you don't you want to try and stay away from the tipping you know what I mean like if you tip towards the glass you're gonna you're not gonna get good results as if you are straight on so you know you have to kind of work your tank from side to side you know and up and down but kind of, you have to stay level you don't want to tip it at all you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, um, when they're shooting coral, they'll turn off their pumps and actually take it you know, straight down, which is another, it's a cool way to look at it, but you kind of have to shut down your system. You have to move your lights around a little bit, and then it becomes, you know, very difficult. I, I never really got into that. I always got into, you know, straight on into the glass, because otherwise, if you're, if you kind of tip this way, and you'll see, you can, you can, um, you know, mess around with this. Take some pictures on the side, you know, like that, and like up and down, and then after when you're post-processing your images, you'll see that the results are not going to be that good. Especially with your lights being on above you, and you get at a certain angle, you're going to get lens flare. And lens flare is basically direct light getting into, into the lens, and it's going to obstruct the picture. So always go straight on. And if you're, you know, working on something on the side of your tank, make sure you're on the side. Now, can you actually take the lens and smash it up against the tank itself? You could. You know, if you have, it's a good question. If you have a lens hood, like this is a smaller one that I'm taking off right now. It, you know, you probably see it that way. But as that lens hood, you know, you could put that right against the glass. I, I wouldn't recommend if you didn't have a lens hood putting it right against the glass, what, what's going to happen is, especially if your camera or your lens is in autofocus mode, it's going to be, the like the, the motor in it is going to be, you know, kind of going in and out, in and out, in and out. It's going to have a real hard time focusing on what you're trying to achieve. So if you actually come out maybe like two or three inches, that would be even better because then you, you give, you know, give yourself some, some space to focus in on what you're you're trying to obtain. Um, sometimes I usually do both. I usually do manual focus and automatic focus. Because like I said, when I, I take pictures in front of my tank, I kind of pull a chair up and, you know, I enjoy it. You know, I take my time with it and I always mess around. I always will try some obscure setting on the camera to, to see what the results are. You know, and, and most of the times, the shot that you think isn't the good one usually is the good one, especially you know when you're when you're doing it you know with moving objects because, like I said before, sometimes you have fish that you know they're they're your buddies and they know when you're in front of the glass and they get excited because they know you're going to feed them and they think they're being fed and they'll kind of <clears throat> my point is they'll 
you're trying to take a picture of something, and it'll keep popping in front of you. And when you're taking a picture, you might get a real good shot of of that fish or coral. You know, well, the coral will be moving, but you know what I mean. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so mess around. <laughs> okay, so um, f flat, right? So we know we want flat. And we're mm -hmm. gonna go. Vertical and horizontal, but flat is the key. Yep. Don't necessarily, if you have a cover, you can put it on there, but, you know, keep a little bit away. Um, yep. You know, as far as, like you had talked about er earlier, like with a monopod or a tripod, you mm -hmm. should always have one of those no matter what as well when you're going side to side or? Not necessarily. No. Like I said before, that's, it gets a little bit, um, you know, cumbersome. Especially if you're trying to capture the fish moving. If you're on a tripod, you're kind of, you know, it's in between your legs and you're moving it and you're kind of plopping it, you know, and so that gets a little cumbersome. So you don't necessarily need it. But, like, a, a tip to photographers that do have SLRs, I like, in my opinion, I like to hold the lens on the hood, mm -hmm. you know, because if you're holding it back here, you're kind of, as you can see, I'm kind of like all jumbled up and I have big hands. So, like, I like to hold it right there and then kind of give it, like, a counterweight. So, you know, I'm being stable on the body of the camera as well as on the lens. And especially when, when you have, like, a big lens like this, like, not that I would use this here, but, you know, you're, you would hold it like that and on the body. It's just much easier. Um, no, it makes a lot of sense, right? Actually, I have used this. Really? Yeah, you can use this lens. What you could do with it is um, go in the back of the room. Like, say your tank is in your living room, and this is an excellent shot to have, like, a, a full tank. You know, that's when you would use, like, a, this is a zoom lens, you know, the telephoto zoom lens. So that's when you would use that. But otherwise, you're going to stick with your standard lenses, macro. Okay. Speaking of lenses, here, here's a good tip for for someone that has like you know, you know, like a good SLR body. You can go on the internet and you can go to rent glass or borrow glass, and you can rent these lenses for like thirty dollars a week, and they're they come in prepaid mailers. So essentially, they come to your house, the lens is in a in a pack, you use it for a week, and then. You put it back in the mailer and then you ship it back. It's great. Everyone does it. Like wedding photographers, you know. You can rent necessarily a two thousand dollar lens, borrow it for a week for a you know, a low, a low amount of money, get awesome pictures and send it back. And then maybe in six months do it again. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. what, what in your mind, okay, what kind of lenses are we gonna look for out there? I mean what Knowing that, knowing that we like color, right, and we like all that detail stuff. I would definitely say macro all the way. I mean, macro is so fun. For anyone that has ever done um, macro photography, which is basically you getting like this far away from a subject, you know, taking a picture of a flower, you know, seeing all those crazy details or seeing a little bug on there that you would, that you never saw before, um, macro would be number one. Canon has multiple macro lenses, and when you go to these sites, they're all sorted out for you. You know, telephoto, macro, 
prime. But prime means like this lens is prime. It only goes 105 millimeters. So that's what prime means. It's just it's one focus length, like 50 millimeter prime. That's all it does. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say macro. Uh, and then your standard zoom lenses would also be a, a big benefit. So I would just stay in those two, those two ballparks. And, and does it, you, you can get some great deals out there for lenses. Um, and the great part about it is if you're like an amateur photographer or even you're kind of really getting into photography, it's a great way to stock up your bag and find out what you like, what you're good at. You know, you can understand. It's almost like if you go out and you rent a car, you know, for a week, and you really like it, well, then you can go buy it because you tried it out. And it's the same goes with lenses, you know. So it's, and so now, what were the two websites again? Uh, Rentglass.com. Okay. And Borrow Lenses. Okay. Perfect, perfect. So and if you're in a major city, you can actually contact most of your camera shops and they all have walk-in, you know, rentals. Like I was just recently in Atlanta, Georgia, and there was multiple places there, camera shops, that you can go in and you can give them, you know, deposit. And they were really good about that. You usually just give them a check, like a blank check, you know, just written out to them, I should say. And that just covers damage in case you know you broke it, you lost it. Of course, you're going to buy it, just like you know everything else. Um, but it's great. You'd be able if you're in a major city, you can walk in, rent a lens, go home, take pictures of your tank, maybe go out, take some pictures of other stuff, and then bring the lens back. And then you look like a superhero to your friends, and they saw your pictures. Okay, now, so now, do they have the same thing for the camera bodies, or no? Yep. Yeah. Same thing. You can you can go out and rent a ten thousand dollar Canon for five hundred dollars or less for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm talking about like football grade guy on the sideline type cameras. You know, like the big the big boys. Okay. So if you were the hobbyist again, somebody new. What, what camera would you recommend that they start off if they're going to rent one, for example? What like line or you know what would they look at? That that's like that's a hard question because it's almost like do you like black or do you like white? You know, do you like vanilla pudding or chocolate pudding? And that's Canon and Nikon. You know, it all depends what you grew up with. You know, what your friends have around you, what your parents you know maybe had. I always have always had Canon. You know, I know their lineup. They're great cameras, and every every person I can only speak for Canon. Um, every Canon person would probably start off in the Digital Rebel. You know, they have like the T three I. They have other versions, but anything in the Rebel will get you excellent results. You know, when you get into bodies like this one, the seven D, it's faster, which means when you hold down the button, you know, you you're, you get a burst of pictures. Um, and then when you get into higher end ones like like the 5D Mark II, which is a full frame camera, which means that it's not cropped, it's it's the full it's the whole deal. Um, perfect for portraits. Now the pictures that I'm going to show you, I did them on both of these cameras. So this one is 
twice as much as this one, but I also got amazing shots on this camera. And that just goes as well as the Digital Rebel, you know, or even a point and shoot. As long as you take your time and, and look at what you're doing and know what you're trying to achieve, you'll be able to get it, you know. You don't have to throw money at a problem just to, uh, just to get a good picture. Perfect. So let's take a second to take a break. That way you can, uh, you know, uh, breathe a little bit, so to speak. And yeah. then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about taking that perfect picture, okay? Okay, great. So while we were on break, we were talking about kind of how we're going to flow this thing. And let's take one second to talk about the different kind of cameras then that we've got out there. And what yeah, kind so, of separates them apart. So if you were to walk in your local store and look at all the cameras on display, and, you, you know, the if you're human like me, you're going to look at the price first. And then you're going to kind of guide your way around features and... Um, you know, size probably, if it's compact, if you can stick in your bag, your purse, or whatever you have to, wherever you're going. When, I guess I, sh I should say, when you're in the ballpark for a point-and-shoot camera, you're going to want to look and see how good the sensor is, and the sensor is basically the brain of the camera. A lot of people get hung up on megapixel, which is, it's really just a buzzword, and it's a fab, in my opinion, because you can have a camera, the perfect example would be this Canon 5D has an older sensor than the 7D, but the 5D takes better pictures than the 7D. You know, so that's where it becomes into features, like this one's faster, this one's slower. You know, this one has better quality, this one has a little bit less quality, but they're both amazing cameras. And that's, my point is, when you go and you look at point-and-shoot cameras, you know, you have to look at the features, what it can do. If I were to go out to the store and get a point-and-shoot camera, probably the, the biggest feature I would look for on a camera would be its manual setting. Because, you know, when you get a point-and-shoot camera, you're going to excel past it probably. Mo you know, most of us, when we get a new electronic, we're, you know, we, we figure everything out about it. You know, we go into the, the nitty-gritty settings and, you know, try and exploit it and figure everything we can about it. And the same goes for cameras. So I would want to make sure that I had like a manual setting on my camera and I would I was able to change the white balance, you know, the shutter speed, the aperture, and basically really get in there. Um, if I were to, you know, if I were moving past point and shoot cameras and I was getting into, you know, you know, the high end digital SLR bodies. I would definitely, um, you know, either look at Canon or or Nikon. Since, like I said before, I, I use the the Canon bodies. I would start at the Digital Rebel, you know, and you could definitely get years and years and years of use out of it if you're just an amateur or if you're 
you know, you're just getting in or out of the point-and-shoot uh, cameras. No. That being said, um, usually when you, you do get the digital, like, rebels, like, when you start at that lower-end body, you kind of work your way up to the next level pretty quickly. And, and that's with every hobby, you know, just like the hobby that we're in, you know, you're going to excel very quickly and even move on probably to another tank within less than a year or even, you know, two years. So you kind of want to, like, build your roadmap and say, like, what am I going to use my camera for? How much do I have to spend? And what are the features, you know? And that, that really goes for anything, but... Now, are there any differences, like, you know, I, I know some of my friends will say the reason why they chose Canon was not for the body so much, but the fact that they're like the compatibility with lenses or something like that. You know, kind of. Yeah. Are there pros and cons to, you know, each one of those lines? Well, the, I would have to say the the Nikon bodies look better, and in some cases are on paper. So when you have like in comparison, you look at them side by side. The Nikons definitely look more robust. They have, you know. They pack more of a punch, I should say, especially in like, you know, the new line. Um, but the problem is the lenses on Nikon, they're very expensive, and that's where Canon, you know, goes up a little bit higher than they do. They have, I wouldn't say cheaper lenses, but more affordable lenses for us, you know, as family members or someone that's not getting paid to take pictures. Um, that's a big thing to consider. Like, you don't want to be stuck with an 1855 lens and, a, and a, an amazing professional body, you know? You want to be able to keep adding to your lens kit, which is the great part about getting into the digital photography because the lenses are essentially going to stay the same. And as you get, like, a good amount of lenses in your bag, you can, you know, you can get a different body and you have all of those great lenses already, which is, which is great, you know? Okay, so you it, it kind of reminded me, and we're going to jump just a little bit. Like when you had mentioned your point and shoot, right, mm -hmm. to look at the sensor, and then you had mentioned that, again, with your kind of, uh, your SLR kind of cameras, right, you had the different bodies. To me, the, the two points or two, two, the two questions that I have would be, for the sensor, how do you know what's a good sensor, what's a bad sensor on the point and shoot? And then as far as the bodies on your digital SLRs or your SLRs, um, what are kind of the progressions? What are what are good things, what are bad things, those sort of things? Well, it's like everything else. You're going to have to do some legwork. You have to read reviews, look at sample photos. Um, with point and shoots, there, it's kind of a market that I'm not really like into per se. I'm more into like the DSLRs. Um, my suggestion for someone that's just going and buying a camera for the first time would be to read reviews on the internet. Like dpreview.com is a fabulous website where you can go and they have all the lenses, you know, all the bodies, samples, full product review, you know, price comparison. It, it, it could be the lowest end camera to the highest end. They, they really do have a great selection there. Plus they have a great user community where you can go ask questions and people, you know, from amateurs to professional photographers all around the world respond, you know. And it's not too overwhelming. When myself, if I'm in the market for a new camera, I usually go there. I'll look at samples, I'll look at prices, side by sides and 
they're great because they have um, they'll have like previews before you know bodies come out, and they'll say this is what's different about this new model coming out, and why you should be excited. And everybody, that's what we follow. You know, if you're into technology and um, you know all things digital, that's what you kind of thrive for. You're always looking for that next model and how you can incorporate it in, into your life. You know, whatever you do. But um, that's, that's what I would do if I. And that's DP review, you said. Yep, DP okay. review. Okay. And then for like your DSLRs, like what are the difference in the bodies as far as progressions up the? For the for the digital ones, um, the first and foremost, the big one is the full frame sensor. There's full frame and there's crop, and what that means is, like, you basically have. Like a thirty, it's a thirty-five millimeter sensor. So if you were to we'll try and do it, you know, if you're looking at that piece of glass in there, so it's kind of like a mirror. That's the whole top one looks like. See how it's a little bit smaller. Right. What that means is it's it's one sixth. It's it's usually twenty millimeters. So say if I have this 100 millimeter lens on this crop sensor, it's actually, you could do the math, but it's around 120 millimeters once it's on the sensor, kind of like pushes it forward a little bit. Now with the full frame, the lens that's on here is a 50 millimeter, and it's just 50 millimeter because it's on a full frame body. If I took this 50 millimeter, lens and put it on the seven the, the Canon 7D, it'd be 70 millimeter. That would be that would be it. So that's a huge consideration. And what it would look like in a picture and you could see read stuff about this on the internet, but say you took a picture of like a school bus on the full frame, you would see the whole entire bus, wheels, top, sky, everything. On the crop, you would probably get to the bumpers you know what I mean? And then it would be kind of smushed. It, it's fine that it, it's fine that you that you get a crop sensor, and when you're in like the digital rebel, uh, the 40D, the 50D, the 60D, it, you know, there are crop sensors. But when you in the 7D is a crop, the 6D is new. That's a full frame. 5D Mark II full frame. 5D Mark III full frame. 1D full frame. And that's where like the professional line starts. Okay, so <clears throat> if you're new to the hobby and you're getting into to digital, you're going to get a crop lens or a crop body, and you know the differences between you know the sensors, like I was saying before, how the 5D is older than the 7D, but it's got a better sensor is because it's a full frame sensor first of all, and it just has better image quality, but it's slower, so. That goes back to like when you're, you're you're reviewing your camera, you're thinking about one. If you're going to go into like a like a large um, computer store, you know, the best thing for you to do is go look and go home. Write stuff down and then go home. Do not buy something just off of a spur, especially cameras. You want to go home and read about them, and you know maybe it's five hundred dollars more for you to take a step up. And it would be well worth it for you to do that instead of you know spending say fifteen hundred dollars when you can spend 
$400 more and get a completely different camera that's will, you know, blow it out of the park. Okay, so then frame size is one thing that's that's a differentiator between the bodies. It also mentioned like basically the processing power as well, right? Of the different things. Right. When you get into to like some of the the sensors, what a lot of people talk about is what we mentioned before, when you get into the ISO range, which is the artificial light coming into the camera, when you get into like the higher end, 6,400, 128,000, <clears> some even go higher than that. Um, when you get into those ranges, you're gonna start to see noise on the picture. You know, little pixels everywhere, you know. With software nowadays, you can clean it up pretty well. So you can bring it into, like the application I use, Lightroom. You can bring it into Lightroom, and you can remove the noise. You know, if you remove too much of it, everybody's going to look like clay figures. You know, you're, they're just going to look washed out, right? But you, you want a little bit of that noise in there. So, like I said, you don't look like Gumby. Um, but the differences between the two lenses, or the two bodies, I should say, is how well they do with that low light situation and that's where it really gets into like price tag you know that's that's a big um a big part of it the other part is shutter speed you know how fast how many frames you could take in a second you know if you're holding down say you have like myself i have a five-year-old it's really hard to get her on the go you know so if i'm outside with her or at the playground or she's running around having fun i would probably get the 7d it's faster. It, I can hold this button down and it sounds like a machine gun going off. You know? I'll just... Ooh. See what I mean? Right. See how fast that was? Now, here's the... Uh, this is the 7D. Or, excuse me, the 5D. So it sounds like... You see how it's... Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And you would think that this camera... Like not any good, but it it's, it's definitely a good camera, you know. So shutter speed is is definitely a, a big contender. It's a it's a to your point. There are many tools for the trade. Important to understand what you're trying to shoot first. Right? Yep. So I, I guess with that, that should give enough, you know, kind of insight from a from at least a, a rookie end like my end. If you're going to go out, what you need to do. Uh, but you were also talking about what's really important is not only that tool, but how you kind of frame it up. Yep. Right. Describe that a little bit. So, when you're framing up the picture, is basically when you're you're sticking the camera, you know, in your eye, and what you're seeing in the eyepiece. And when I say framing, take for example when you're looking in your tank and you want to. Um, you want to get like, this is kind of where it becomes like artistic, you know, like you're, Very much, yeah. it, this is like, yeah, this is your way to show what you see and what you interpret, interpretate. Um, and by framing, say you have a piece of like, a piece of coral, you would have it at the bottom left hand corner of, of the eyepiece, you know, of the frame. <clears throat> and then the right, you would have let's just say, a soft coral. Well, what you want to do is is get it framed in right so what you, what you see is what you want to get. 
if that makes sense. No, yeah, very much. So. It's almost like if you were in, if you were taking, if you were taking a picture of a tree in the middle of a field, some people would frame that picture with the tree right, <clears throat> excuse me, right in the dead center, and then it would be like a hill in a tree. Other people would move the camera to the left and have the tree over here, you know what I mean? And then the rest of the, the picture being framed would just be nothing. So what I'm trying to say is <clears throat> you want to frame the picture to like what you know you're really after. I'll show you some, some real good examples where I have a clownfish sleeping in an anemone and I have him on the right hand side and the left is just like black. I, I was thinking of like if I was swimming in like a coral reef and that was like the edge of the, the coral reef where, you know, after that there's nothing. It's just black. And you know, that's kind of what I got. And that's probably one of the the cool features to to you know being able to take pictures of your tank, you know, to be able to see the different nooks and crannies and aspects that you might not be able to see once you're like down on your hands hands and knees looking at the tank, you know. Just one of those things. And do, and do you have, um, are there any tricks that you use to kind of point out, oh, this is a really cool frame versus, uh, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, is there any things that you can do to kind of get... Well, like when I, like for example, if I'm looking at my tank right now and, um, I don't know, that, like at the bottom you can't see it, but I have a candy cane coral. It's kind of laying pretty cool, and I can see that it's splitting. <clears throat> so I would probably, like, shoot that like this, like up and down, like a portrait style. So I can really, you can really show that, like, the, the one part of the head is on, like, laying on the sand and then, you know, up a little higher. The other thing you can do, which is great with digital photography, is take a picture, bring it into your application, and crop it. Meaning, take the image and then just crop out what you don't want and what you do want. Especially if, if you're taking a picture of like a wide area of, of your tank and maybe you don't want this one fish because he's out of focus. What you can do is just crop that one fish that's in focus. You know, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah. I guess it, for me, I've always appreciated like the different looks that you can get of a reef tank by just moving around. Mm -hmm. um, in your reef tank, how, how can you or what can you do right, to, to make sure that like those looks actually come in good, if that makes sense. In other words, you had said it before, there's stuff moving and everything going wrong. And, and so where you might see a good picture, it just doesn't come out good photography-wise. What kind of... That's where the in the chair nobody's going to sit down and take one or two pictures and say yeah, that's the one it doesn't work that way especially with all of the moving objects and you know shooting through glass first of all is is really hard you know so that's where patience comes in you know taking a lot of shots taking some time looking at the, the display on the back of the screen saying you know what that one looks good but I'm going to go back in for another you know frame it a little bit differently, move a little bit, maybe like if it looks a little bit shaky, turn up the shutter speed a little bit so it's a little bit faster and then if it, if you you know take a picture 
and <clears throat> excuse me, it looks too dark. Maybe bump up the ISO, you know, a little bit, and that's where it all goes back to when we started this conversation: is being in that manual setting and just tweaking out your settings, you know, because you don't know exactly what you're going to get until you really do import it, you know, and, and say, "Wow, that looks good." And then what you could do at that time, like we said, is write down the settings and just say, "This is the settings I had. I had my lights off or the blues off, and it worked out great," you know, and you can learn a lot from what you already have done and the mistakes that you've already made, you know? Okay, so just to kind of frame that up, if you were sitting down with your chair and your camera and you're going to take some pictures, how many pictures would you take to get eh, maybe five, ten good pictures? How many on average? Um, I usually take like a hundred pictures. You know, I'll take a hundred pictures and then get like <clears throat> usually like four or five out of them, you know, depending. And then what I usually do is, like, I'll take some pictures, I'll, like, play with them in, inside, like, the software, see what I can, I can figure out what I like, and then usually take the card out, do some more, put it down, and then, well, that's the great thing about it being in your house, you know what I mean? It's not like you, you have to, it's there for you always to do it. But yeah, you. Okay. I was just gonna say, yeah, usually like a hundred. Yeah, and again, to me, I think that's important because a lot of people, to your point, and I'm probably the biggest abuser. One, two, three, ten. Man, they suck, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta give it some time. Yeah, you, you, you have to learn a lot, and by by having like you know decent equipment. It definitely helps, <clears throat> you know. I I have to say that if I were like a new, if I had a really nice tank and I was new to, like, I wanted to take pictures, you know, I would probably buy like a good body, you know, because then you can use it for whatever, you know. If you have a purpose other than just taking pictures of your your fish tank, if not, maybe ask your friend to borrow one. Maybe maybe you know someone that has a good camera, and then you know go. You can rent lenses and stuff like that. Um, I know a bunch of my friends and I <clears throat> will we'll chip in. We'll get a bunch of lenses for, you know, like two weeks. And we'll just, you know, switch them off. Say, here, you take the macro for a couple days. You take this one. And it's great. Especially if you're going on vacation. I, I highly recommend it to everyone. If you're going to the beach or, you know, you're going somewhere to visit family and you want to get good pictures, rent it. Because you know what, you're going to come back and you're going to look like a million bucks when you see those pictures. It's well worth it. talk about like some of the challenges right of, of you know 
taking some sort of photo of that beautiful reef tank that you've got in the hobby, right? Yeah, and there's more challenges than anything else, especially, the, I think the hardest part, like capturing good photos of your tank would be like not being able to control the lighting as well as like if you have a tank that has the bow in the front, you know, it's like, you know, everyone knows what a bow tank is, but, you know, or maybe scratches in your glass that would be obstructing your view, especially when you're working with macro. Nine times out of 10, the lens is gonna focus on the scratch rather than what's inside the tank, you know, because it's that first thing that it can, that it can um, focus on. Other than that, um, you know, your fish moving your, around your tank, especially if you have like dotty backs and different type of like wrasses, they're going to move and you're going to move with them. And sometimes they're not going to sit still. Um, I, I have in the past fed my tank and take pictures, but I didn't really like the outcome of that because then there was like fish food in the frame. You know what I mean? There's like particles everywhere or like micro bubbles. So I kind of got away from that. And, um, I have had a lot of good success with taking pictures um, when you first turn off the blues. So it's basically in the morning when you come downstairs, depending on how your lights are set up, mine come on like usually like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the whites. I'll usually just knock off the blue and then that's kind of when everything's kind of opening up a little bit and the fish are a little bit calmer because they're, they adjusted to, you know, the complete darkness to the, the light. And that's usually a good time to try and get some pictures. Micro bubbles, right? Mm -hmm. Scratches on glass, right? Do you have any tricks that make that you can use, like to clean that glass super good that it doesn't screw up for the, the photography? The, I actually kind of prep my glass before I even start taking pictures. I'll usually, like the night before when the lights are off and you don't scare the fish, I'll use like a microfiber cloth. And you, I usually just do it dry and I'll just right of like the front of the glass, the surface, because usually my daughter will come downstairs and she'll just plant herself, you know, and there's, you know, like high fives on the glass. So I have to kind of take care of those. And I usually just use a little bit of water. I never use like spray or anything like that. Cause God forbid you spray it too high and it, you know, goes over. You don't want to do that. but microfiber cloth kind of get it ready and then I, I just have like the, the floatable you know glass cleaner I use you know a couple times for the scratches there's not much you're going to be able to do with that the only other the only thing you could really do is kind of get away from it you know my actually my tank upstairs I had um, I used to use it for my daughter at hermit crabs and it's a it's a square tank uh, I think it's like 27 gallons but what I noticed when taking pictures, I got real low to the sand bed and I was, you know, you know, trying to take a picture and I noticed all these scratches all over the glass, around the entire glass. And I come to think about it, and here it, it was um, hermit crab shells scratching the glass. As they walk, you know, they kind of scratch it ever so gently, but in, you know, repeat when they keep going around and around, they're going to make all different types of marks. And so what I had to do was just kind of come up a little bit more and then I was fine, you know. Okay, but. so I can offer you a little advice on the cleaning of the inside of the glass, right? Um, like when you have those scratches, for example, 
you know, when you take your, you know, tiger magnet and go over it, you know, it's got basically that Velcro, which gets a good majority of it, but it doesn't get inside the scratches of the glass. If you take like the Mr. Clean Magic eraser, I don't know if you've ever seen those yeah. sponges, right? But basically just take that sponge, put it on and sandwich it in between, right, mm -hmm. your 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 um, magnets. What it will do is it will actually allow you to get inside the little scratches of your glass and it'll take all that algae away. So it'll really it'll kinda like buff it up just a little bit. And cool. and sometimes people don't have strong enough magnets. So what they'll do is they'll take that magic erase marker or whatever it's called, and they'll cut it in half. Just take a piece of scissors, cut it in half, then sandwich it, and then kind of do it that way. There you go. So I know on the, on the inside of it, that's one option you can do to kind of keep it clean. That's a good tip. I will definitely try that. So now we're going to have clean glass, front and back. What else? The micro bubbles. Do you, do you just douse everything? Right? Do you just shut all your pumps off, or what do you do? No, I usually don't like to shut my pumps off or anything like that. I'll, I usually just, you know, I, I like to actually see the fish kind of swimming in their pattern, you know, their normal pattern. But if you have some, you know, some real high flow, you could, you know, turn it off and, and just see what it looks like, you know. But I think the results you'll get with non, you know, non-moving water, it's going to kind of look a little dull, you know. Especially your soft corals, they might just kind of like, you know, stand up straight and kind of like sink a little bit. So you kind of want to see them moving, you know, but th that's, it's really up to you. You know, especially if you have soft, soft corals, you kind of want to capture that movement, you know. Well, that, that's exactly it. Like, like we had talked about earlier. To me, that's what makes a fish tank is that movement one way or the other. So, you know, so what, since we like the movement, Right. What setting on your camera do you have to adjust to make sure that you don't get a blurred movement, but you actually get a freezed frame, 100% kind of, you know, still photo? That comes in with the, the shutter speed. If your shutter speed is too slow, you see, when your shutter speed is too slow, you're gonna get um, you get more light, but you're gonna get less movement. So you want to make sure that your shutter speed is is up high enough it's not dark so that's what that's when it kind of gets into that manual setting where you need to make sure that your you know your camera set up right which goes along with like the um, shutter priority the P feature you know take that quick thing the quick um, snap see what it looks like if you have any like blur you know or maybe it's like too bright that's when you can switch to manual and kind of dumb it down a little bit you know like mobile phones they do a pretty good job of keeping up with with the shutter speed, you know, the even out of the box, like I have the iPhone, it does a pretty good job of of capturing it. But the white balance is awful. Like you'll bring it in, and everything will look like electric blue to the point where it's it's not even a good picture. Um, but but there is like aftermarket, um, you know, applications that you can use, and we really don't need to get into that because you know how many millions and millions of camera applications there are out there for your phone but just find one that maybe will have a manual setting or like a quicker shutter speed setting okay so then shutter speed will control that kind of motion there 
Um, you had mentioned about lighting, in other words, fixed lighting above your tank versus kind of something you can move. Explain how you, you can use that to your benefit. Yeah. In my situation, I, I have an LED uh, light setup that's hanging from the wall. So it's, you know, I can move it per se. So even if you have like a friend over or your wife or even one of your kids, you can maybe have them help you kind of tip the light a bit, little bit, and you'll get a different result in your pictures. Um, what I mean by that is like, you know, your light is just flush, flat down, maybe like tip it towards the glass a little bit or tip it backwards, and you'll get a different effect on your picture. And it might really help your outcome or it might not. And that goes back to the, it's, it's kind of a silly thing to say, I know, but it goes back to when you have your, your camera right in front of the glass and if you're tipped up a little bit you're going to get lens flare well you're you're really introducing lens flare by tipping the light towards you so you know that's why that's why i said you kind of have to play with it you know and as we said before you know you usually take about 100 pictures to get a couple good ones but when you do it's well worth it you know? very much so do you have a favorite um, shot we'll say with the tank you know, I've seen, for example, that clown in the anemone. Um, what, 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 what kind of things? Since you have the trained eye, right? You were talking yeah. about framing, for example. What do you look for when you're, when you see other people's kind of photography of their tanks? I, I look at expressions on on, like I like taking pictures of coral. I really do, but I really like taking pictures of fish, and I like the expression on the, the fish's face. You know, <clears throat> and you do get that by you know, by taking a lot of shots at once, you know, th there's a lot of fish like gobies, um, you know, like a dotty back, you know, even, even um, clownfish, you know how you can just kind of look at them and it just seems like they're looking at you, like they're like eye to eye with you and they're understanding, you know, like, who's this guy? But it's those moments that, that I really tried to shoot for, you know, I want, you know, there's a lot of, I have a, a picture where the clownfish is basically cleaning out an enemy and, and spitting whatever the enemy has like you know whatever its waste is in there at the time it's spitting it away from the anemone well i have the picture where you know his mouth is like wide open in the in the food or whatever is right here and he's like right in the enemy it's just shots like that 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 i like you know um there's so many good pictures all over the internet that multiple people take they're just like fabulous you know but you just make it special to you, you know. That's that's what I always try to do. Because I know, like, when when I take a picture, and I like, I bring it into the software, and I look at it, I'm like, man, that is so cool. It's like it's great. I love it, you know. And that's that's what you should try to capture when you when you get in front of your tank, you know. You know, you know what you love. You you went out to the store, you babied it, you brought it home, you took care of it, and it's almost like watching your your children grow up. You know, it's it's those stepping stones, and it's so much fun as a, if you're new to the reefing um, hobby, is to take a picture from day one, and like do it every couple weeks because it's a riot. You know, to see like a pile of rocks, and then to see like a full blown where you're at. You know, in six months, it's, it's mind boggling, and you see those stepping stones of how your coral is growing and progressing. You know, and then you get to show your friends, and they can't believe it, and then they get into the hobby and then they're looking for a line of credit from you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was going to yeah. say, 
That sounds like a perfect way to end this video, right? <laughs> Again, it, it, I think it's one of those things where, to your point, it, it's all about an expression, right? And, and what's good yep. to you. So. Again, I appreciate taking the time, and uh, let's let's uh, remember I told you I wanted to plug your website a little bit about what you do. Let's talk. Let's take just give me one minute. Tell me from a photography end of it. But well, we know it's not your day job, right? But yeah. what, what do you do in the photography side? One more time, the photography side of it. What made you so good at taking pictures? Uh, I I own so many roads. Us. It's a photography site in northeastern Pennsylvania and I actually um, specialize in family portraits and infant photography um, I do actually a lot of um, a lot of work for a local farm here as well they have you know all different type of animals and stuff like that and I do a lot of work for them and then you know on my spare time I, it's not really spare time as you know but I do have two reef tanks that um, I spend a lot of time with and it's one of those things where, you know, you just, it's just second nature. You know, sometimes people, they can just get into a hobby or, or get into something or a line of work and they're just, they're just good at it, you know, but that doesn't mean I don't work hard at it. And the same goes for photography. You know, if you work hard at it and you have a creative mind and, you know, you can think about like the possibilities of, of what something can look like, you definitely have a lot of fun with it, you know. Well, it's funny because, you know, how this originally started where, you know, you just sent me over that one little picture, right, of, I believe it was the clown, and, 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 I, and I looked at him like, dude, you got skills, where did this come from, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So to, to your point, right, you, you definitely got that gift, and hopefully, you know, what we can do is share some of the things you've learned along the way and you know other people can learn as well yeah absolutely so if somebody you know uh, has some sort of you know interest or desire in you coming over to you know do some uh, photography work from them like as far right. as the area that you can travel to let's kind of lay that out for everybody my photography business is like my secondary um, line of work and it's it's very very demanding i have a very crazy schedule you know i usually end up taking five to six appointments every weekend and i do a lot of stuff during the week you know because not a lot of people are around on the weekends you know so but yeah it, it's good if you're interested in in um you know seeing some of my work and uh taking a look it's www.somanyroads.us and I just, ha I just have to jump in to say, you know, I'm the one that's forcing Jeff to do this because, again, he's giving, up his, giving us his time. And it's one of those things where he's like, no, nah, I want to do it to help people out. And I'm like, yeah, that's good, but let's, you know, again, it's one of those things where it doesn't hurt to get your name out there. And if anybody has any need, desire, want, et cetera, feel free to check out Jeff. And I'm, Jeff, I'm assuming on your website you have a contact me kind of. Yeah, it's all laid out. Perfect. Well, again, uh, thanks for spending the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, no problem. You know, if if anybody who's watching this, right, send him an email. Go to his website. Spread the word. Share the love. Right.